Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. You know me, Daddy T. Can't believe it's already October. Um, it's almost the end of the year, so you know what that means. Or maybe you don't. October is my birthday month, and I don't even want to say celebrate this year because it's very bizarre to even have a birthday in 2020 since time's not real. Um, but as I have been doing for the last two years um, since this podcast has been going, I will be releasing a solo episode uh, for my birthday week. Originally started as an accident because I forgot to book a guest the first year. Then last year I wrote one that um, was very cathartic, so I'll be doing that again. So look out for that next week. And um, since it is my birthday and I don't really feel like... I don't, I don't know. It feels weird to celebrate a birthday at all. Um, but I had a thought. So if you do want to, I guess, join me in a festivity... Um, something that I'm asking my friends to do, whoever, or my, you know, confidants or whoever wants to do it. Um, write yourself a love letter. You know, when I say love letter, I'm not saying you got to get all sexy. I'm just saying there's no better way to describe it besides a note to yourself that's positive and affirming, okay? So I don't want to hear negative stuff about what you need improvement. We spend so much time, you know, working on improvement. I'm sure you've got that covered. But um, yeah, if, if you want to give me something for my birthday, um, write a love note or a happy note, I don't know, encouraging note to yourself, like dear blank your own name and then address it to yourself as if you're telling yourself what you like about yourself and, uh, and send it to me. I don't know. I just really want to hear some good, positive thoughts that people have about themselves. I think that will make me feel good. And I hope it will make you feel good, too, writing it. Um, so if you want to send me one for my birthday, you can do that. I'm going to give you my address. Please don't make me regret it. It is a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 11041, Glendale, California, 91226. I swear to God, if I get doxxed. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You can also send it to me via email, tellmeanythingpod at gmail.com, or tag me online. Um, really just want to kind of have a nice day feeling good about other people feeling good about themselves. You know what I mean? Um, there's not much to announce. Stand-up comedy is still dead, but I am still hosting Comedy Quarantine. But I'm now down to one day a week every Thursday. The show is three days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will be going on hiatus for Thanksgiving as well as taking a break for the end of the year. We are getting close. It's pretty wild um, in December, but for now... Come check it out at Comedy Quarantine on Instagram. And finally, if you aren't already on the Discord and you want to say hi, I seem to lurk that a lot during the day, uh, you know, now that I'm pretty much on lockdown, working from home nonstop. So say hi. I enjoy it. Uh, don't tell anyone this, but those Discord messages go to my phone. So if you go, it's like you're texting me, pretty much. I actually respond to Discord more than I do on my text. These days I get a ton of spam text. Um, all right, well, that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let me know how you're feeling. You can always write me. Enjoy. You can tell her, you can tell her anything. She's a real good listener. You can tell her anything. Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Father Longlegs. Uh, you know me, Daddy T. This is... You Can Tell Me Anything, the podcast where comedians confess something they want to get off their chest. And wow, do we have an episode today. I'm very excited for my guest because 
we know each other way back from New York. Um, we uh, now live in different places, but thank you to the internet and Zoom. It's made it possible for her to be a guest today. Very funny, Irene Hartman. Thank you, Teresa. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. How, well, first of all, how have you been doing? I feel like I lately have been taking too much advantage of Zoom recordings by literally like getting home and sitting down right at the time I'm recording. So I feel like normally I like to like also catch up with my friends, but I'm like, we're about to talk for 40 minutes, so I'll just catch up with you on the air. Yeah, no, I, th I feel like it works. But no, I'm doing good. I'm in Denver now. Uh, I really like it out here. Uh, except I will say, like, I think there, I heard last night there were four fires around Denver going, mm. and the sky was straight up apocalyptic. Like, don't get me wrong, I know, Bay Area, <laughs> the most hellish, hellish, like, night skylines that I've ever seen, but it did feel, like, very grim yesterday. Oh, yeah, the, it does feel like the world's on fire, because it is. Um, yeah. I think it's not as bad in the Bay as it was. I know what you're talking about when it was like that mar almost Martian looking yeah, background. The blood red sky. Yeah, it's the air is still pretty bad here in the in LA. Um, but I'm glad that you're safe. Well, I do like to start with a good confession, just because especially now everything is a nightmare. So just to start on a positive note, Irene, is there anything good you'd like to confess? Um, a good confession. Um, I would say, like, my good confession is I work a job that is very political, so, like, I am now officially at this point where, uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, uh -huh. and, like, it might be a train for all I know, but, like, <laughs> either way, it is 17 days until the election at mm. the time of recording, and, um, I'm so excited to, like, finally... Huh. Like, get into that final push, work really hard, and then, like, see where everything falls. To finish the game, so to say. If you've God trained, really. you're playing, and you hope to win, but you can't wait for the game to be over. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a lot of work. I'm really proud of the work that I've been mm -hmm. doing, and I'm, you know, so impressed with the work that the people I work with do. Um, but, like, it is really exciting to see that, like, potentially we could like finally come to a like cross the finish line and like kind of take a break and get to slow down for a bit true but well i don't want to burst your bubble but what i've been saying to people which i'll say this i'm not in a political job and that i have no expertise so you don't have to listen to me but i but what i've been saying to a lot of people who want to listen and don't believe me and might be right and not believe me is that we've all been thinking too much of the election as this finish line when really I think we need to think of like what is the day after the election look like in either scenario like win or lose or whatever depending on what side you're on but like only because I think when it comes to whenever I've watched movies or read books about you know people with evil plans not saying we're dealing with someone with an evil plan but definitely we're not dealing with someone with a good plan uh, they have thought through what they would do if they won and how they'll keep trying if they don't win, which is why I think we should think, what's the day after the election look like in either scenario for visualization's sake? Just because I think the opposition has visualized. That's my only one, one addition to that. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, 
where I'm at, I mean, I'll say this. If it's a definitive victory, then, like, you'll know I get to sleep in on November 4th. If, uh-huh. you know, NBC, ABC, CBS, all call it, I get to take a day off. If there's no concisive victory, victor on election night, I will still be on that same, like, timeline. Yeah. I mean, but when we talk about, like, what does the after, what does the day after look like, you know, I do feel a little bit of anxiety about it. Yes, and I think that's okay, but I think that's, but I think that's why people, I think that's a disadvantage generally on the side of truth is that when your reality is so messed with, it's hard to imagine the future because things aren't following a logical plan. Which is why I think a lot of athletes, like, the idea of overtime exists, right? You hope that the game ends and someone wins, and, you know, nobody wants to lose, but if it's over, you play the next game. But if you're in overtime, sometimes people catch up a lot there because the person winning feels like, I already gave it my final push. Whereas the loser's like, I got another chance. That's all I mean is the mentality of remembering that win or lose if you're alive life is going on and you got to figure out what to do next i think having visualized it helps because doesn't matter i don't i don't i'm not going to tell people what to visualize visualize whatever you think is going to happen but just know that the opposition has visualized what happens if they beat you so you're not standing there in shock not sure what move the monster's going to make like think about it so that you know yeah, when it happens. Absolutely, and that's why, like, a big thing that I'm really proud of that is a part of the sort of project I'm working on is we do want to build, like, the way we see it is win or lose for Biden, we want to have, like, a cohesive group of people who are willing to hold all of our elected officials accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very used to contacting uh, politicians when they're of the opposite party and we need to voice our complaints but like we tend to let our guard down when we're kind of like well this person's platform was x y and z mm-hmm. so you know i get to kind of check out now now they're doing the job mm-hmm. when it's they work for us so we have to make sure that they're working in our interests you know um any kind of activism cannot begin and end at an election booth there has to be a strong loud contingency willing to call out even when the people who are supposedly on our side do us dirty Mm. so i think that that's a big thing to think about um just kind of in a personal level is like after the election what am i going to do to keep my momentum going what am i going to do to keep from getting complacent in a way like it, it can apply to so many things like relationships too like if you think about i mean it's a cliche joke that I'm not necessarily making, but I'll just reference it. But, you know, when people talk about sort of love dying after marriage, but it's mm. not that marriage itself kills love. It's that if you weren't being true to yourself to with a goal of just getting married and then you change who you were, like, yeah, that's false advertisement. But it's hard because sometimes people get stuck on the race, right? Like, I think it, in the same way with elections, like, Yes, it's good to give that push, but then when it, when you win and you have the thing, you got to use the thing. So it's like if you – I guess relationships to me make sense because it's like if your goal was to 
get someone to love you so you like change everything about yourself to get them to love you and then they love you and then you're like good now I can be my true self like wow guess what they don't love your true self because you didn't spend the time building a relationship with your true self uh and so I feel elections are similar in that like you the finish line is actually just you have the thing now to take a living breathing thing to take care of like a marriage or like your goal cannot be a title and yeah. I think that that also applies in relationships, right? If you're just going yeah. around being like, I need a boyfriend. Well, it's like a baby. Like, having the baby is just the beginning of having the baby. You can't be like, yeah. I had the baby, and now I'm done. Back to being a person. And it's like, no, 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 right. no, no. You have to raise this living, breathing baby. You put in a lot of work to push for, like, your vision of what the world is going to be. You live in this world you push for. You gotta keep pushing that rock up that hill, Sisyphus. You know, like that's how this works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the struggle continues, and I think that that is a phrase that. But less of a struggle. I don't mean it to be pessimistic. I think there is positive reinforcement. So if you win things and it's you're being true to yourself along the way, it could feel really good, um, and you'll want to keep doing it. But there is there's no moment when you won, if that makes sense. It's the goal is to keep going. Yeah. But the thing about it is, like, it is hard to be your true self when you're voting. Because... Well, because, well, true and not. Yes, I know what you mean, because there's so many choices that don't speak to you. But I think this is where people lose. In a true democracy, you... Yes, it's not overnight, but you can push towards finding people who do represent you. Uh, mm-hmm. But over time. And then I think it feels so far away. Um yeah, I don't know. I okay. Well, so I I just this is, I don't want to get too political because I know that um, we mentioned we wanted to talk about more personal stuff, but this does lead me into a good segue of I like to ask about. So this was inspired by me going to therapy and just like how nice it is to be able to get things off my chest. So I like to ask um, every guest like what your relationship with therapy is or like what you do to sort of self-regulate or cope with um, sort of like hard times. So I think this is relevant. It sounds like there's a lot going on. So how do you sort of de-stress or deal with um, complicated feelings? So um, the first part of that to answer my relationship with therapy, I would describe as on again, off again. (laughs) Uh, We have a very casual relationship. Kind of like how America and democracy are, truly. We're just like fuck buddies, (laughs) I feel like. There's such uh, a tease. We do not have you know. their last name saved in our phone. Yeah, there's such a tease. Sometimes you're like, we're going to fight for you. We're going to fight for you, right? Sometimes they're like, I'm going to hang out with Russia now. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't say we were exclusive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have found... Like, right now, I, I am not in therapy just because... Uh, I am on not great health insurance, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also like I've been in therapy for a very long time, and I sometimes think like you kind of got to sit for a bit. Yeah, you got to, it's like going to a gym, the trainer gives you the tools, but you still have to go and work it out. Yeah. Yeah, so like I am in sort of a spot where I have been just trying to like, do the things I was suggested to do when I was in therapy instead of, like, constantly adding to the list. Sure, yeah. 
And so what that kind of looks like for me these days, I would say, is I think I've just, um, it sounds cheesy to say, but I would say, like, I have invested more in myself in the way, like, I have developed hobbies. Um, That's not cheesy. That's good. Yeah, it's, you know, I I play the accordion. That's something I'm super Uh proud of. And, like, that has become the sort of hobby that right now I'm not as in practice as I usually am in, but it's generally kind of a non-negotiable part of my day and finding these things that you largely do for yourself um, with no intention of validate external validation um, or reward. I find a lot of release in that mm-hmm. uh, because then it's like, it's, for me, like, having these, like, private moments. Yeah, you're developing a relationship with yourself. That is curating your true self. I mean, I do kind of feel like a lot of uh, the sort of self-actualization and growth, it sounds counterintuitive to say this, but it is about looking inward, but in a way that connects outward. Like, I know people say, like, too much navel-gazing is bad. I agree. If you're navel-gazing and not questioning your own reality like you need to be like constantly looking at what you believe against how it affects the people around you too um it's a it's a balance but I do think finding those higher versions of yourself the parts of you that you can like self-soothe self-regulate with or without others is so key to defeating sort of like false narratives from the outside because if you know yourself it's like you agree with yourself and if someone outside is trying to challenge that you don't need a witness you can be like you're a liar and I see that and both me and me see that so that's all we need and it's also just like nice to set aside like chunks of a day where like you get to kill the critic in your head if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah just have fun and the reality is everyone's bad at things when they start and they get better and in order to get better you have to keep doing it so I think it's so good to like the critic is also good. I think it's like yeah. you need to decide who to listen to at what point. Sometimes you gotta listen to the coach. Sometimes you gotta listen to the critic. Sometimes you gotta listen to the cheerleader. But like all of those voices are in your head. And there's times when you're like, okay, we're practicing now, critic. I'm not done. Go away. Go sit in the corner. And then there's times when yeah. it's like, all right, I'm about to like do a big thing. So critic, come on and give me final notes. All right. Yeah. Like, I need the crick in my head to remind me to, like, proofread emails mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to, like, double-check copy that I'm turning in. Otherwise, like, I'll just, like, jump over to the next task. So, like, yeah, I understand. I need that sort of, Irene, your last uh, email, nobody could really understand what you were saying. You want to double-check that? You want to double-check that? You want to make sure you got all the verbs right this time? <laughs> it's synergy. It's kind of, like, yeah. weird that we can do it so well when we externalize it. Like, like even I don't do this well either because I'm very overly critical in certain times. But I'm, like, we give some of the voices that are in our head too much power at times. We have to learn to, like, give them the light, I feel like. <laughs> That's really cheesy. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, a good show has multiple voices, just like a good person listens to the voices of, within them, but decides with a oh, big picture after hearing them all which one gets to drive at that moment. Yeah, and I think it's also really important, though, to identify, like, who the voice really belongs to in your head. Because, like, 
I'll give an example because that's something that like I I can't answer yet. Uh-huh. Like, I had a friend who I know them very well. And I know their family quite well, and they were having a bad day, and they're beating themselves up. Mm. And, like, the way that they were talking to themselves, it was, like, word for word what one of their kind of abusive parents would say. Mm. But, like, as an adult, this person was in their, you know, late 20s. Mm-hmm. That is the critic in their head's voice. Yes, interesting. Parents. So it's, like, it's really important to start, like, recognizing exactly who you're listening to yes to decide how much credit you give it that's true and in a weird in a weird way we laugh at like entertainment and movies to be like kind of pop culture and um junk but over time you realize like whoa those voices are really strong like we actually listen to the images and stories we see because it's cute like when you watch movies superheroes like you can literally listen you'll hear like i'll hear the voice of like Star Wars, like, you know, let the past die, kill it if you have to, which is, like, not yeah. real, but it is, because a human wrote it, right? Like, we call it fiction, but it's, it's like, if I wrote a story, it's based on my life, why is that fiction? So, like, I think we need to realize how connected all these stories are. I mean, they are. I don't know, like, <laughs> the phrase that pops into my head more than I will, like, ever admit is from Rock of Love, uh-huh. uh, bus edition, I believe. It's when <laughs> M- Megan wants a millionaire and one of her, like, awful friends, they're eating a microwavable dinner hammered, and one of them just goes, peas are for losers. <laughs> and that, that's one of those things that just, like, ingrains in my mind. Is just, like... Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... Fuck it. Sometimes you get to have the, like, loudest, dumbest opinion because it feels right. Right. You're like, I agree. Peas are for losers. Um, Well, speaking of opinions and telling me things, Irene, is there anything you'd like to tell me? I think the thing that's kind of been weighing on my chest the most lately is I'm one of the few people who, like, 2020 has actually been kind of good to and that I feel guilty that this is even a, con- a confession but like you shouldn't feel really guilty fun. that's good that it's actually working because it's not like you're de- detached from reality you're very much in reality and working to make it better for everyone so it's nice that it's you're being positively affirmed that that's going well it's just like it's very strange because like at one point this week, uh, someone I work with uh, sent out sort of a heads up that Denver was going to have stay-at-home orders uh, put uh-huh. across the county. And, you know, so I prepared for it, and, like, I'm getting ready for it. I'm going to Costco. I have too much toilet paper. <laughs> but, like, I was thinking to myself, like, this little part of me was like, yeah, now I don't have to feel bad about working at home again. <laughs> True. And, like, I felt kind of bad about that because, like, within the line of work that I do, like, it is a huge concern that a lot of people still haven't gotten their stimul- first stimulus checks. So it's, like, there's this weird, like, guilt that I get over, like, things have gone quite well for me. But, like, I'm also advocating for people at the worst time of their lives. True. But I think this is an interesting, okay, I think this is really interesting because what you're kind of speaking to is 
in a broad sense, you're being present. Because the fact that you're recognizing, right, like the duality of it means that you aren't detaching and you are present, which is kind of what we're arguing for everyone to be, right? Like the people up top who are claiming that everything's going well because they're only looking at a group of people doing well, they're not yeah. present, but you're present enough to understand that it wouldn't make sense for you to feel so guilty that you don't take the good luck when you have it. That doesn't make sense. You should take it while you're also working to help others, which seems like the best possible version. Like we need more people fighting who are have the resources. So I think that guilt is you rec is the part of you that recognizes how unfair it is, but also knows because you're present that you didn't cause it. So you're going to keep going on your path. Like that's the, you being in touch with the truth, I think. Yeah. And I, well, because like, let me put it this way. Here. Let me put it this way. Would you, if things were going well and someone said, Hey, um, here's a chance to continue this situation being bad for others because it's going well for you. Would you say yes? No. Exactly. So I feel like I don't think you would say yes either. I wouldn't say yes. I feel like that is a sign that you're in, in the moment doing what you can, but you are not out of touch with the reality. Whereas there are folks who I would say who are benefiting <laughs> Jeff Bezos from this yeah. pandemic in a way that is like, huh? Manipulations did he get? What? Oh, he. What'd you say? Manipulations. Oh, during the pandemic. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just like he became what, a chameleonaire. Um, just people who are actively have actual power to make things better and actively choosing to keep things worse because they're get doing better. Like that, I would say it's going too far. But that's why I think we get lost in like black and white, good or bad, like binaries just because you're doing well in a time when things are going poorly doesn't mean that you are a bad person. Just like there's probably times I bet when other people are doing well and you didn't feel like you were doing well and you can still be happy for them. Therefore, yeah. you... Comedy is a great lesson in that mm -hmm. one. And that means you're present, but some people can't. And those people, I would say, are probably not doing it right, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like... I... I got very lucky this year well uh, why do you way. say that in a luck way i know what you're meaning but i'm curious why it feels like happenstance like do you feel like there's any part that you've changed and have become more in tune with your your true self it sounds like you're on a journey and have purpose so i would argue that it's not luck it's not coincidence you actually listening to the voice in your head and it's rewarding you that's a fair point and I mean yeah I mean I do think a lot has changed uh in how I view things and how I like experience things um I think the luck for me portion of it kind of comes from like I finished my master's program this year um and I'll give myself credit in that, like, I am so terrified of not having a job <laughs> that I, like, I straight up started applying for jobs in November. Uh-huh. Um, but so, like, this, it paid off that I landed a job when, like, a fair amount of people I know from my program are still looking or, like, mm -hmm. lost offers. 
So with the fact that, like, it worked out for me, I'm happy to give myself that credit of, like, I, you know, kept my nose to the grind for this specific concern Mm -hmm. a while ago, and that was the right choice. But it does, you know, it's like, I am not a better employee than my friends. I didn't do not have like, I mean, I had somewhat specific experience for the job that I have. Um, but like largely I, I do kind of chalk it up to like, Hmm. I, people I care about got paralyzed by anxiety when everything hit and they did not, they didn't, you know, just like immediately hit the ground running with job applications. So it does somewhat feel like luck that mm. like my reaction to a global pandemic wasn't this, you know, life reckoning, like mm-hmm. big, big moment. I was just like, all right, this is another recession. I got to get to it. No excuses. Got to, got to find a job. Well, okay. I would, I would counter that there's part of it involves like I wouldn't say no like at all because timing does help but what you what I heard you describe was that you learn from your life experience and patterns of what things give you anxiety and how to cope with it by actually addressing them early so even though you had thought that was a weakness maybe that you were so anxious about jobs that you needed to start early you listen to the voice that said hey I I happen to have more anxiety than others, so I'll start early. And you followed your intuition, and then you, it sounded like you worked really hard, studied, applied for jobs, and got a job. I would say, sure, some luck applies in that, like, even if you do all that, there's a chance you might not get it. But I would say that's like 90% you <laughs> like did all the things you're supposed to do. And then luck pushed that final thing in. But... I, the reason I say that is not to be like I need to hype you up and blow you up. Is because I think what you're describing. I won't stop you from that though. <laughs> well, what you're describing is something I think um, gives power to people who feel powerless, and that's where somewhere I've been before too. Because I felt like often like I'm doing everything right and I can't get it right. But if you do kind of keep listening over time, you do find those rewards in your life, and it does feel sometimes strange when it's things aren't going well for others. But then you remember like, oh, there was a time when it felt like everything was going well for others and they couldn't get it. And there's a power in that you figuring it out can help others figure it out too. That's sort of where I'm coming from, like it, it wanting to take back the power of calling it luck because I think a lot of people, especially billionaires, would like um, sort of middle-class people to believe like it's impossible and the gap is so big, so you gotta take what you can, instead of letting them understand the truth, which is like, if you truly accept your higher self and also have empathy and listen to people around you and like stay true to those values, you will thrive eventually, and it'll actually probably help the people around you thrive too. I certainly hope so. It does feel like a little bit of luck though, that like I moved to Denver and so far I, like this feels like a great city. Yeah. I don't know what my life is going to look like post-COVID. Uh, Maybe I'll want to go back east and be closer to my nephew. That's been a really big part of this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll want to stay out here. But, like, 
the only time I'd been to Denver was with you, Teresa, like a year ago, and we were here. You got here a day before me, so I was here for a couple shows at High Plains. (laughs) In a way, a little bit of luck, but also then I would say intuition as well, because at no point, basically I would say in the last year and a little bit more and change, I've been kind of radically listening more to that voice and just being like... This feels scary. This feels weird. But I'm gonna do this thing or do this thing, and it's kind of like exponentially led to like better experiences and healthier relationships. It's I wouldn't say it's easy. Uh huh. It's interesting you say that because if like to me, you are someone I know who like more than anyone else, like you you put yourself out there. <laughs> Like, you try so many things, and it's so cool. Like, oh, thank you. I try a lot of things because I think I'm all constantly... I will say this. That's nice of you, but sometimes I think it's because I'm constantly failing. And for me, what I think works is, like, if I fail, as long as I have... An, like, as long as, the like, I haven't gone through... Like, you know, when you're, like, swiping on Tinder, it's like, there's no more ma- options. As long as, I'm, okay. as long as there's still options to try, like, I'm like... All right, what's next? What's next? Give me this. What's next on the list? Yeah. What's plan C? What's plan D? What's plan E? Let's. I don't see that as a failure because I'm like, if we get it on plan Z, great. Um, yeah. So I think that's maybe, that's a nice way of putting it, saying I try hard, try a lot. But I feel like to me it also means I'm failing a lot. But I don't necessarily I mean, I think it's bad. Because I, I kind of feel the same way because, like, mm-hmm. I have done and tried so many things. Like, Let's I just put it this way. I would have stopped trying a new thing if the first thing worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you just got to – something doesn't work. All right, fuck it. What's next? We got to keep We got to keep moving. Yeah. Like, if you sit still for too long, you get nowhere. You got to yeah. keep moving. But I don't think that's, yeah, I'm starting to shift my perspective in a way that I think is kind of cool, because I think I used to feel very cynical, and now I almost feel overly optimistic, but not in a way that scares me, because I haven't tuned out the cynic. Like, it's like we talked about the critics and the, you know, cheerleader before. I have all that knowledge of the critic me, and it's still there, so I'm like, thanks, I have all the info, I'm going to build on top of you now, but I'm going to look to you when I need help, so it's not blind optimism. But now I'm realizing there's an, after I learned all the bad mistakes, I also am like, oh, now I'm going to do positive reinforcement while also staying away from the mistakes. Whereas there was a time in my life I was just learning, stay away from this, stay away from this, stay away from this, but I didn't know where to go towards, if that makes sense. And now I'm finding, okay, I'm listening to this voice, like, that says, you know, like, uh, you know, like, listen to your anxieties. It's not always bad, as long as it doesn't overtake your life. If there's a way... If you're anxious today, could you address it today instead of letting it simmer, right? Like, will applying to 10 jobs today and then going and then planning a night out the next night, will that make you feel better? Now you can have the best of both worlds or whatever. Like, you learning how to actually address your own needs, even if you feel different from others, can give you that sort of higher self feeling. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like yeah, it seems like yeah. you've been you've been listening to like yes moving to denver there's no way you could have known all this would happen but i would argue even if this didn't happen you would have had a happy year in denver too like you have been listening to the part of you that says do things that you want to i like to think so i i do try to not like i've been trying to avoid looking at things through hindsight these days because Mm -hmm. i mean I hate the cliche that it's 2020, but, like, it's true. <laughs> and you, like, 
get stuck in that trap, you accomplish mm-hmm. nothing. But I thought we're looking in the present, if that makes sense. I think the hindsight is just there to give you confidence that you made it this far with your knowledge. So keep trusting yourself. Stay in the present. But it's funny because, like, you and I, we've known each other since our, like, early to mid-20s. Yeah. And, like, (laughs) it is kind of amazing to think about, like, all the different things we've done since then. Like, Mm -hmm. all the different people we've been, like... I feel like, um, I, I think it's, uh, mm-hmm. maybe it is just the fact that, like, to me, the NYU modder should be, like, you know, you did everything right, but you still can't get a job. Like, but, I mean, that is the thing. We were in the entertainment industry when we were in our early to mid-20s doing freelance jobs. Like, I... From what I can tell, things have gotten a lot better for PAs and a lot better on sets. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, we kind of have that experience of the, like, you work so fucking hard, but, like, no matter how hard you work, you don't seem to, the benefit doesn't seem to, like, be comparable to the sacrifice. Well, that's what I mean about listening to yourself. So I agree yeah. with you that I feel like there was a time when I felt like I needed to put others' needs before mine. And I think that's necessary in, in the, like, teenage years, development. Like, you need to... Well, first you learn as a baby that your, your needs are the only ones that matter because survival, you have to, right? Because otherwise you'd be taken advantage of. Teenager, you really learn that in a way that's very annoying to everyone else. But I would argue, again, necessary. And then you go through a kind of a codependency phase in your 20s. This isn't true for everyone, but I think there's a lot of people follow this pattern. Where you're I then, definitely yeah, where then you're learning, like, oh, in order to get my needs met, I need to form relationships with people who can help me because I'm no longer a child of parents. Therefore, I also need to meet other people's needs. And sometimes you overcompensate by giving other people too much of yourself. And then I think the 30s are a time to learn truly boundaries and how to actually give yourself what you need. At that point, you meet other people who've lear- also learned that lesson. If you're, you know, I guess you could say if you're lucky, but I would say if you've done the work. To then form partnerships with people who respect your boundaries, tell you what they need, and you are able to ask for what you need, but they're not your lifeline. Like It's like having a lifeboat but knowing how to swim is how I would put it. Like You found a really great boat and you learned how to swim. And that, I think, is a perfect version but of course if you couldn't swim and you had a lifeboat could you survive yes but if that lifeboat decided to abandon you you might be fucked so i think there are versions of relationships that work in between like maybe if you're a really bad swimmer and you need the lifeboat more like you know what i mean but like in the best version you have figured out how to address your own needs and you have someone to help you when you don't want to (laughs) yeah but I think to that, uh, what stuck with me that you said was about, like, making decisions out of fear and less mm-hmm. out of, like, genuine, like, internally driven instinct as opposed to, like, avoiding pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, you know, I turned 30 a month ago or so. And, like, when I look back to whatever bad decisions from my 20s are, like, bugging me that day... <laughs> Like, the big thing is, like, how many choices I made at that time out of, like, fear. Mm -hmm. And out of the, like, you know, 
this job laid me off after I helped them hire an unpaid intern. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I have to look out for that all the time. So, like, that really informed a lot of my job-making decisions. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, as much, uh, as easier as my life might have been if I didn't uh, operate in the way that I did at the time, at, you know, earlier times, I should say, I still ended up in a good place, so I'm not, like, mad about it. Those decisions, yeah, I would say that the unfortunate things that happened were not necessary. Like, I would never say that those are the kinds of things that everyone has to go through, but but you're good at being present in that since it happened, you don't need to let that take over. So I think that speaks to what you're talking about, not wanting to live in the past of hindsight, of, like, you still need to live in the present where these things did happen, if that's true. But then yeah. you learn how to actually take the whole picture and not let it paralyze you. Given a choice, sure, go back and make it didn't happen, but given that they did. So I think that's, like, it's, sometimes people can't wrap their head around that, like when people talk about tragedy and being like, see, it helped, and you're like, yeah, because I moved on, because I had to, but I would not say, therefore, you should give people tragic Yeah, this moments. was still not my first choice. Yes, exactly, and I think that um, is a thing that a lot of people don't understand, and that's why abusers do get away with stuff like that, because they can be like, Oh, like, you know, the classic, like, if you're going to use an internship as an example, classic Miranda Priestly, Devil Wears Prada, you know, dynamic of, like, you got to pay your dues, like, I'm helping you, training you to be this better person, which is, like... You should be so grateful that I get to be a bitch to you. And then oftentimes what the reality is, those people, those kind of tyrannical bosses pick, they know how to pick people who actually are talented and great. So the talented and great people do do well, and then they, like, owe everything they know to this boss. When in reality, I think a good boss should be like, hey, I see a lot of potential. I can tell you what I know, but since you're great and you're adding value, you should be encouraged to grow and learn on your own and, like, make the same mistakes that everyone got to make. So that, I think, that's the hardest part. Like, you talk about being afraid it'll happen again. I feel that way about personal things all the time. Yeah. But the way I've combated through it is to expose myself to new patterns. Like, get better at finding the people who have a better chance of not hurting me. Of course, there's always a chance. You're never guaranteed. But I've gotten better at looking for those people and getting out sooner and looking out for myself. And over time, you positively reinforce yourself because then you do meet better and better people and they do treat you better. And quickly, it becomes really hard to go back to the old ways once you know how to swim right like once you know you, it's really hard to drown once you've taught yourself how to like yeah. not to keep using that metaphor but truly like now that the red flags are way more apparent it's much harder to wind up you know seven months into something toxic because you're like oh I'm out at the first sign of like craziness but yeah and it's also funny like uh I was listening to the podcast to kind of get a sense of the format so congratulations on uh another listener boyfriend from what I've heard oh thank you because the last time we talked in person you neither of us were like we're both out of kind of unfortunate situations Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you've gone into detail um but like and yet now like I've been dating a guy for like two months and not only like what I find really interesting is I don't notice toxic behaviors in this guy because he doesn't have them, Uh but he's just a genuinely nice, cool, good person. Yeah. 
but I am way more aware of my own toxic behaviors now. But that's also good, too, because someone who's healthy and able to support you can, like, allow room for if your goal is to grow. Because I think that the cycle does continue if we are not self-aware, right? Like, I think people who get hurt often end up hurting people, not necessarily on purpose, but let's say you've been kind of conditioned to... uh, by a toxic relationship to, um, you know, not tell the truth about where you're going because they always get mad even when you're totally honest or whatever. So then you may start developing a negative pattern of feeling scared to tell the truth even if you want to tell the truth. Um, I think a healthy partner, you can say, like, you can just say that to you. You can just be like, hey, I have this pattern. So, And then you can even be like, oh, fuck, I messed up. Uh, hey, that's thing that happened yesterday. Here's why, and they should be able to help you grow. And I think that is really scary and hard, but it's so rewarding when all the lights turn green and you're like, oh my God, like this is totally not what I expected because you're acting so different, but yeah. now I'm rewriting like my code and I understand that I have patterns that I can fix. I don't know, it's nice. Yeah, like I've had to keep catching myself of like, you know, the, the guy that I've been seeing our jobs put us on, like, exact opposite schedules. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, it's hard to find time to meet up. Um, And, like, more than that, like, we both kind of, like, we're busy, so text messages sometimes take a couple days to get responses. I do it, too. So, like, I have to really make this active point of when I feel the, like, like, this sort of, like, clawing in your brain that's, like, it's going bad now. It's going bad now, just like you thought it would. Uh-huh. It's you're gonna fuck this up, just like you thought you would. Of having to like fight through that and be like, I'm not going to like let that direct my next action. Yeah, I can't let like my worst, like most injured part guide me. You can't. Yeah, you don't let that drive, but you do let it in. I think it's important to not silence it because it's there. To be like, what was that like? Give it a name, you know. What was that, Timothy? You think that you fucked it up even though you saw no signs that you did? Why do you think that? Oh, because it's happened before and it was actually... But did it happen because you fucked it up or was that person manipulating you? Hmm. Good point, Timothy. Okay, well, I'll take that into consideration. Like, you literally are like, I understand why you feel this way, but did you... Is this similar? Like, you literally have all this information. You just have to listen. Um... But I would argue also to, with a healthy partner, I mean, yes, it is more work and sometimes we want to be like, I'm not this person, I'm not needy, but like, if you are, let them know. I've literally, I'll give an example in my relationship. I was feeling really anxious this week um, because like I have that too where things will be fine and then for whatever reason I'll be triggered and then if I, if that day that I'm on edge, I don't hear back, you know, for whatever reason, I go oh well that's over now and I used to just be like oh I won't say anything because that's crazy but now I just say it I'm like I feel this and then if there is something because sometimes you know people are waiting to process it themselves before they tell you they might they might act weird and they'd be like oh yeah maybe something's going on I'll tell and you're just like you trust they'll tell you when they have when they're ready or sometimes like I've been I've told my boyfriend on Friday no on Thursday I was like I think I'm about to, because I was feeling anxious that for some reason he was going to abandon me. So I was yeah. like, I'm feeling anxious, so nothing, whether we hang out or not this weekend, I'm going to be sad. So I was like, let's, should we just decide not to hang out? And then um, we, I just won't see you this weekend, and I'll see you on Monday. And he was like, 
uh, okay, but if it assures you, like, I, like, I, like, I like you and that, like, I, you know, I'm, you still light my fires and I'm like, okay, <laughs> but it's just like, oh, you could just tell someone, hey, I'm having a breakdown then, you're about to abandon me, so I know it's in my head, but maybe it's not in my head, but here's what I need to do to not feel bad, I need to not see you, and they, they could be like, okay, or they might be like, hey, I feel like that's unfair, but even them talking to you would make you feel better, because they're acknowledging this feeling is real, and not, I think it's like, they're not causing it, but they, doesn't mean it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, because it's, you sometimes, or at least I've gotten sort of, like, sucked into that cycle of, like, oh, if I say something else, I'm gonna look crazy, but I already look crazy, so I need to say something so I don't look crazy. I need to clarify that I'm not crazy. But I would say it only seems crazy if they don't know how you think, right? But if you actually yeah. walk them through everything, like, if I told, look, if you told me, if you were acting strange, let's not say crazy, mm -hmm. let's say if we made a plan to hang out on Friday, and then on Thursday, I text you, hey, so where do you want to meet? I didn't hear back. And then Friday morning, I started feeling like anxious because I'm like, are we, are we not hanging out? But you, yeah. let's say you're the kind of person who makes plans and always follows through. And so you may not have responded, but you're like, we have a plan Friday night. I'll text you later. But I might have an experience where plenty of times people have just blown me off or decided last minute and acted weird. So now I'm feeling like, oh, here we go again. So it's not crazy. None of us are crazy. But if I say nothing, because I'm aware that I'm the one with the pattern, then what might end up happening is I start acting weird. And then you're like, she's acting weird. And then I start being cold. And you're like, she's acting cold. And maybe you don't want to hang out with me because I'm mad and cold. And then I manifest that it's a weird hang. But I could also say, hey, um, I feel very anxious about our hanging out Friday night. Even though we made a plan, I have a lot of experience with people blowing me off and somehow uh, I, my, my brain feels like because we haven't set a time and date and place and because I'm so looking forward to it that I'm already starting to try to distance myself by telling myself, I don't want to hang out with you or I need to have a plan. And so now that I'm here, I can't stop it. So. Uh, if you are feeling like you're not sure, will you let me know now or not? Like that, I don't think it's crazy because you've just explained exactly what you feel and they might be like, oh, that's different, but it's not crazy. It's different from how they, I feel, but it's not crazy. Yeah, I think like, I mean, something else I've been doing, um, like when I want to reach out to people, be they like friends, lovers, former <laughs> lovers, whatever, is I try to like, take a second to just like stop and identify what it what I want out of them mm. in that moment mm -hmm. and it's because it's like am I just looking to like vent about something in which case like how am I phrasing this am I phrasing it in a like attention seeking manner mm -hmm. or am I phrasing this as a like bad day can I call you for 15 minutes like That's am I nice. giving this person yeah. a fair chance to respond to what I actually need uh -huh. Or, like, you know, I mean, I'm kind of a pissant. Like, sometimes, like, I feel that impulse of, like, I'm going to I'm gonna make trouble for no reason. Well, so, of having to be like, oh, that's happening right now. That's Can't a very, no. very mature thing to say because you, like, I like that you call it a fair chance because you recognize that, you recognize that there is some responsibility in yourself of giving you what you need 
although you can bring in help, right? It's like, I call it like contracting. I can contract out contractors to help me, but ultimately I am the boss. So like, if I, it's like if I called you in for an interview and then I was like, mm, you know what the job is, you tell me. And you're like, I didn't see a yeah. job description. What do you want me to do? You figure it out or you're not hired. And you're like, uh, like, or I should be like, Hey, I'm looking for someone to do this, this, and this. Let me know if you can do it. Here's, and then you can decide. So I think it's hard because it implies actually giving yourself autonomy, which the flip side is difficult for people who've been in toxic situations because that's taken away from you in a way where you almost feel like it's easier to surrender it. Like if you believe you never had autonomy, you won't feel as guilty for ending up in toxic situations. Um, but once you have it, you can go, okay, I, I'm looking for someone to tell me everything's going to be okay because I'm sad. Then you can say, hey, I'm feeling, like you said, I'm feeling sad. I kind of need this. Can I tell you this? That as a friend who wants you to feel better but doesn't know how, I'd be like, oh, thank God they told me how to make them feel better. Now I don't have to guess. I can just be a friend. So it's like. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that takes a lot of work, especially if you're from, like, a background where maybe, like, passive aggression is a more common response than just direct, like, X happened, you can do Y about it. Yeah. Um, so it's like you kind of, and it's something I've been really trying to, like, focus on, especially, like, as my job has gotten more stressful of, like, not... Not starting by letting myself, like, get apocalyptic in my head about things. And, like, when I start to feel that, that like, pull of, like, the dread and that, like, the larger-than-you feeling of anxiety of, like, getting into, like, good group chat and being like, I'm having a bad day at work. X, Y, and Z happened. I'm so frustrated. Mm -hmm. Of just, like, trying to be direct about it because then, like, people actually give you what you need. Yeah, that's true, because I think people react to um, when they don't know what you want or need from them, they sometimes get defensive, right? Because they might be like, what, like, for, like, they, like, an example in relationships, if you're, if someone thinks that you're actually trying to make things more serious, but you're not, and then they start pulling away, it's a reaction because they don't trust, they're not used to people saying what they really need and meaning it. But if you're around people who say what they mean and need, and then you can also say, hey, I need this, and they can say no, and you can also say, okay, I respect your no. And then yeah. you go, that sucks because I wanted it, but I also, it's not your job. Like, it's, I'm the CEO, and you said no to a job. Cool. Like, you can be sad, but it's not devastating. And I think in order to get there, you have to understand that people are allowed to not give you what you need. Yeah. But you'll have a much better chance if you ask for it. And then you'll, like, be able to, like you said, try the next thing, right? Yeah, and that's something, like, I feel like it almost, like, disempowers that, um, the, like, catastrophic, apocalyptic, like, feelings. If you start thinking through these interactions of, like, what do I want from this person? What do I want from the situation? And what, how will I feel if I don't get it? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, if what I want doesn't actually mean that much, but not getting it means so much more, then there's something bigger than whatever this is going on that needs to be actually, like, mm -hmm. pieced out. Yeah, there's wounds that go deep, right? Like, it's like, I might yeah. want to hang out with someone on a certain night, 
But then when they say no, I'm like having a breakdown and thinking nobody will ever love me. Well, I don't think I was looking for Friday night plans. I think I was looking for security and a feeling of safety that goes very deep. That has nothing to do with what I'm doing Friday. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, sure, it could be like, oh, man, I thought we were going to hang out. But that's like, all right, well, I'll do something else. And then there's, I have a deep wound of people abandoning me. And you saying no implies that you're about to, like, it's like, you got to separate that. But you also should be able to allow it. Because by allowing that voice, then you can understand it. And eventually you'll be like, okay, so maybe that was built on bad experiences. So I'm going to load myself up with good experiences. And eventually maybe that voice will get a little quieter. But it's always there as a little alarm bell, right? So that you don't wind up there again. Like, you don't want to erase that voice. You just want... It to be a little more chill, take a nap, and then like come back when yeah. you really you feel like. You kind of got to it like a car alarm. Like you should still look out your window when you hear one going off to make sure it's not your car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should not your your plan your goals should not be to ignore alarms or be deaf to them. The goal should be to get better at hearing the different alarms and tune the alarm. Like, you tune yourself and you tune the alarm. So you're both, yeah. like, working in synchronicity. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> Thanks. I love metaphors. Um, well, we've run to the end of the pod, but I'm really happy to hear that things are going well and in a way that I think is empowering, not randomly. Like, I think that you – it's not it, – there is luck, of course, but um, I think that's – you've been allowing that voice and the true self to, to foster, and that's good. Um, but I want to end with a quick little game. This is something I've been doing on some of the more recent ones. It's just, a uh, I call it three rules. So it's three, if you get to create a, your own society, like, um, you know, Irenville or whatever, and mm-hmm. like you get a, you know, I give you an island, you can start it. Everyone has to follow three rules. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily political, but they have to be realistic. So no magic. Um, anything that could actually be regulated. Like, you you could say, if you wanted, everyone has to wear hats, but, like, it, can, it would have to be within the world of physics, I guess, if that makes yeah, can sense. can we define it as, like, more of a social norm than something regulated? It can be either. You're the, you're the, you could be, you start off as, like, you're creating a world you don't have to be the dictator but you could be like you could part of the rule could be nobody is in charge but like you are the one creating the infrastructure what are the three rules okay uh first one is a social uh social guideline if you're on stairs or an escalator (laughs) there's one side for standing and one side for walking okay okay I like anything it. else is just chaos I like it it's simple but it's like the simple things feed into the rest of the society if everyone yeah. can do one simple thing then we all can yeah. respect each other in, yeah so much easier like uh, I I am German I go back to Germany not infrequently um, or rather my father is from Germany I was born in America uh, people there's one side of the staircase for standing or walking slowly and one for fast. It is so much easier than the subway. Uh-huh. Like, nobody's fucking throwing elbows to get through a turnstile. I like that. Um, second of all, mass transportation for all. Free. Okay. Um, everything is connected. People can get around easily. 
you can live in one side of the city and work in the other, and it doesn't make your life miserable. That's nice. So, okay. So public transportation provided by the government for all. Yeah. Um, going back between either everyone has to be nice to cats or no billionaires, because they both <laughs> feel really important. Interesting. It's funny. I have a Last time we talked about billionaires, I used cats as an example. So. Oh, please elaborate. I think well, I've already said it on one of my rules. I've already said it on this pod, but I was just saying the idea of billionaires is created because, well, it's I don't. The long story short is like people only don't. I don't think that billionaires need to necessarily not exist, but they can exist when there's people who don't have enough. Just like I think some people have a lot of cats and nobody cares that a lot of people have a lot of cats because we don't all want cats. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's that's, that's the metaphor of like. I don't think inherently having a lot implies other people don't, but I don't Except think it's ethical it's to have a lot. Right when yeah, just like I don't think it's, I care if, I mean, yes, to a hygiene standpoint, I think you should be able to take care of all your cats, but if you have 10 cats and they're doing great, I'm not going to be mad that you exist and I have no cats because I don't want cats. I mean, anybody with 10 cats, if they're not barn cats, they are not happy. But I feel like that's, the root of hating billionaires, because I hate them too, but the root is that they turn their back on people not having enough. So, inherently, I think if we all had a chance to be billionaires, it'd be okay. I, I do like the idea of excessive wealth if we all had a chance to do it. So, I guess my point is, I think it's fun, yeah. as long as we all have it. <laughs> but what's funny is, like, I saw your thing the other day on Twitter. I know I think you've posted it before. Nothing should be more than $200. Oh, yeah. I accidentally deleted I it, and then I reposted that. I, th- I toilet paper in my neighborhood is two twenty five. I was walking around just thinking, toilet paper, dollar. Should be a dollar. Well, things we should, should not be more because at a certain point we're just recycling price becomes meaningless. But this is a totally yeah. different podcast that yeah, I, I uh, Okay, if I say no one has over a hundred million dollars. No one has over a hundred Well, I like your yeah. toilet paper can't be over a dollar rule, that's good too. You're right. Yeah, because... Simple things. Bullshit, I was so mad. If there's one thing that always costs one... You know what I mean? Like, it's just stability. Soda should always be $1. Toilet paper should always be $1. Gumballs, always 25 cents. And the stability. What you're kind of describing is interesting, because, like, yes, we subsidize farming foods, but it's such a big industry. What if you had a society, like, not a communist society, but, like, I don't know. I, I probably would need a new name. It's closer to socialism, but it's not. It's kind of like capitalist socialism. I bet I could sell socialism yeah, if I yeah. called it capitalist it's socialism. Thriving. Let me tell you, I could sell CSA, Capitalist Socialist of America. I would be able to get all of the um, liberal Silicon Valley people on, on board. But the thing is... A lot is, of them would join because it does also sound like a farming co-op. And also kind of like an accounting firm. But if you... And yeah. an agency, too. But if you... Okay, this, this is a capitalist socialist rule you just inspired. Certain essential goods are regulated, but they're across industries. And I say... Mm. Regu- so, like, you know how we tax cigarettes because they're bad for us, but they're technically regulated. Certain but essential goods, like toilet paper, whatever, certain things cost this much. And you can go to... And I'm not talking about food stamps as handouts. Even though there's nothing wrong with food stamps, I just think it, in the zeitgeist, it gets, it's been, it has a bad rep as, um, it's, it hasn't been branded in a way that feels like it's for everyone because billionaires love to, um, you know, use stupid words like the welfare state, even though they take handouts. So in this version, it wouldn't 
it would be across class. It's just kind of a cool thing, just like, you know, the sun is free when we go outside. Yeah. Which certain well, essential eliminating means testing because we say certain things we all have a right to. We all have a right to have a home. We have a right to not die yeah. of cancer. But this is capitalist to... because it would be regulated with money. But it just wouldn't be hiked up. So it'd be like, let's say, like, like toilet paper is $1.00 you know, like, you know, your coffee is this much, blah, blah, blah. The things that you always kind of your, the things that keep the economy going because pretty much guaranteed people are buying are subsidized in a way that they're regulated. Therefore, the luxury goods around it get to have the capitalist, like, luxury tax. Like, oh, if I want to make fancy scented toilet paper for the rich people who have the money to splurge, go for it. But at the very end of the day, we all have these basics. That gives you little tiered ways to be capitalist without totally monopolizing an entire industry. Like let's say the internet at a very basic level is moderated so everyone has access. But then you've got these fancy gaming high-speed internets and fancy streaming Twitch. Or you want to watch 10 movies a day? You can watch one. But if you want to watch 10, you got to pay extra. I think then you can, we have something here. We have capitalist stratified industries where there's a base for everyone. It sounds a lot like East Germany, I'm not going to lie, because that was very similar to the East German model under um That was when they didn't have enough, right? But I'm talking about, like, what if we all start from a place where everyone has enough? Because if you're doing yeah. it to ration, it's one thing. But if you're doing it the way we, like, subsidize corn or whatever, like... But we also would then have to take a radical approach to how we allocate money. Here's how we would because... bet on it. Wall Street can still win. You're not betting on the price, you're betting on the difference from the regulated price to the next tier. So they're still, Wall Street's still going because they need to bet on commodities. Well, they bet on the difference, which people are doing anyways, they bet on volatility. We've already figured out a way to do this, just, it's just that they haven't taught, told us that they're on a different system yet. But what stands out to me is that within a system like that, there need to be controls in place through the form of high taxes that actually subsidize human needs. No, 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 no. Here's what I think. Like, for example, Silicon Valley. <laughs> okay, I won't get too into it, but I'll say this. I thought this through in like housing, too. All the people at the top taken away from the thing, like the, if I'm making a margin of like $10 on toilet paper because I made fancy toilet paper, I would be taxed for the excess, but I wouldn't mind because I'm selling to billionaires and making a huge excess. So some of my, within your industry, the people who are making a lot from the top would be required to have certain, it's kind of like, you know, if you build a high-rise luxury building and you reserve at least one floor that's subsidized, it actually integrates people who have, from different classes into the same community, therefore making them not feel like different classes which is better than if you put people in projects by themselves because then they are only interacting with each other and they're not growing. So if you're selling toilet paper, but you have three tiers of toilet paper and you're the CEO and you have budgeted that this one costs $1, but I have all these extra things that people are buying, I don't think I'd be so against people buying the bottom tier because that's stable income. While I find ways to marginally increase my income up top to people who want it. Um... Again, what I think really does need to happen, though, is whenever we sort of do these things of saying, you know, here is our lowest standard and you can do whatever you want to build on top of that within this range, historically, through political influence, through greed, 
that whatever your lowest standard is will get pushed lower and it will get made more expensive because well, that's why i don't think it should be a low standard capitalism is the lowest cost and the highest price margin that's capitalism so i'm talking about capitalist socialism which is not real <laughs> but i made up which i think would work because i never said lowest okay you can go lower than the lowest and you would someone would be like i can make money more money going lower but there is a price that you guarantee you always can get this thing at and you can go lower if you want if you don't understand economics that's on you but i guess it's like um do you, have you had to do an economy budget flight or an economy basic flight? yeah but i'm talking they do this already for farm uh they do this already but for commodities they just i'm just saying yeah. we selectively I'm just chose about, like, certain it used to cost a hundred dollars to fly from brooklyn uh from new york to rochester and then the price keeps creeping up, creeping up, and all of a sudden it's 150, but that's economy basic, which is the exact same price I was paying, but now I get less for it. Yes. And that's always my concern when we allow. But that's because we're in a capitalist society in an oligarchy. Well, anyways, we'll continue this another day. <laughs> I, I think that we're saying similar things, but we haven't yeah. mapped out the model. We want the same outcome. I we don't just... think that what I'm saying is. I don't think where we live in truly is capitalist right now because capitalism is supposed to give you the best possible product for the lowest possible price. But what we're actually doing is cutting corners on the best possible product by limiting information to consumers about which is the best possible product, think Amazon, and then driving the prices down so that people who actually have good innovation and good quality can't enter the market. So now we're not really getting either. That's why I don't think we're in a true capitalist society. But I do think in an ideal world where we could use AI machine learning to control quality and product and manipulation price in a way that you can't get around by humans. <laughs> machines, machines, listen, if you're listening to this, machines, please <laughs> start the revolution. Are you, are you trying to like <laughs> suck up to the robots now, getting good with the Marley? I'm saying the right data. Information is not harmful if you have all of it. Information is very harmful if you limit it or only have part of it. I'm just telling the machines, release the data, release the data. Okay, anyways, um, <laughs> I like your... My statistician teacher used to always say, was a statistics teacher, was bad data in, bad data out. Yep, yep, true, true, true. Uh, okay, I like your world, and I think this is very interesting. So if anyone wants to uh, um, respond to uh, you know our, our worlds or what you guys think or... Or tell me that I'm a dumb little bitch. That's cool too. You can tweet tweet at me at Larissa T. Yeah, yeah. You can also follow this podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod. And Irene, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blood Bank Robber. One word. <laughs> um, yeah. I I don't really have anything to promote. I don't really do comedy. Uh, but <laughs> I I get mad online on occasion, and I put up pictures of my cat. Yay. So it's a real win-win. Thanks for doing the show. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you.
Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Nicole. And we're the hosts of the comedy podcast, Dude, That's Fucked Up. Join us every Wednesday for an irreverent discussion on topics such as light cannibalism, a la the Donner Party, JFK's meth dependency, cryptid fanfic, and even pubes. It's available now on the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to dtfupodcast.com for more information. You know what's not fucked up? This podcast, you butthole. Eee. This has been a hoo-ha-ha podcast.